Welcome to Motley Fool Money. We're here to talk about some of the week's big business news, offer up some stock ideas, and share a few beefs. I'm Chris Hill, and I'm joined by Motley Fool senior analyst James Early and Seth Jason in studio, and Shannon Zimmerman in New York City. Guys, thanks for being here. Good to be with you, Chris. All right, a lot to talk about this week, starting with the news on Friday that the unemployment rate has risen to 8.5%, the highest since 1983. Shannon, what do you think? Well, let, let's start with the market, Chris. Uh, it was a good week for the market. And it's a, a great blues line. Been down so long, looks like up to me. And, and I think that dynamic is, is at work here. The market it has been down so long that anything even vaguely positive can have a, a big impact. And the data that has sustained the rally, even beginning last week, was pretty pretty vague. Modest growth in home sales and an uptick in orders for durable goods. And both of those data points probably stem from deeply discounted pricing. And uh, this week we had some auto sales data that was uh, also you know mildly positive. That to me was more meaningful because it may indicate that the, the provisions that are in the stimulus bill and, and you get a, a state tax break for uh, auto purchases may be having uh, an intended effect. But overall, I think the, the market just desperately wanted a reason to bounce back from its uh, oversold levels. And the recent economic news was mildly encouraging. But for my part, I'm still cautiously pessimistic, not least because of unemployment. So personal income is down, unemployment is up, consumers aren't spending, and businesses aren't selling in a way that they need to. And so that's a, a recipe for increasing uh, unemployment. I'm in Manhattan for a conference, and a, a couple of interesting uh, speakers, Sam Stovall, who's the chief investment officer from, uh, or the, uh, the chief investment strategist, rather, for Standard & Poor's, and then Leo Prohowski, who is uh, the Bank of New York uh, chief investment officer. And the consensus emerging from their presentations was that uh, unemployment probably has further t- to go up uh, to around 10%, but that in the fourth quarter of 2009 is when the, the market uh, will begin to turn, and that will occur in tandem with unemployment spiking. James, a lot to chew on there. Take your pick. Yeah, Chris, what we're seeing right now is, is sort of the, the economic equivalent of mixed particip- precipitation. I mean, it can go either way. Uh, it could change back to snow, go to rain. Um, you know, we, we've got, and, and believe me, I want a turnaround so bad my, my teeth are chattering. I mean, th- there's <laughs> there, there's a lot of anticipation building here we've seen, and, and so do a lot of uh, other investors. And I think that's part of why we're seeing the volatility that we're seeing. I mean, we've had factory uh, goods orders up, retail sales, auto sales, home sales, bank profits, a lot of positive tidbits. But this unemployment, I consider to be a pretty big negative tidbit. Obviously, it's going to take some spending out of the economy, which is going to hurt all those uh, uh, securities that are based on home loans and, and, and whatnot. I, th- I think we're looking at a market that has confirmation bias. In other words, this week, everyone was looking for good news and forgetting that you know earlier in the week, we had a piece of absolutely rancid news that has a huge impact, which is that the Case-Shiller Home Price Index showed that house prices, uh, existing home prices, were dropping at a record rate. Again, almost, you know, more than 19% is is the velocity of the decline we're seeing in prices year over year. And that is it actually has a huge effect on the, on how wealthy people feel, on how much they're going to spend, and of course, on how much all those toxic securities out there are worth. Yeah, those are all important points. And, and we should remember, too, that GDP was revised down for the fourth quarter of 2008. I don't see anything on the, the economic data horizon that suggests that that trajectory trajectory is going to change anytime soon. Well, the news with the most photo ops was certainly the G20 leaders meeting in London. They agreed to toughen up financial regulations and increase funding for the IMF. James, what does that mean for investors? 
Chris, I think the G20 summit is is kind of a big gimmick. Um, <laughs> these guys. Hence all the photo ops. <laughs> yeah, a lot of photo ops. I'm looking at a great big photo here in the Financial Times. 1.1 uh, billion global boost agreed. But as the Times itself reported, if, if you dig in, there's there's almost no new money. This is money these countries were were contributing already. Uh, they just sat around and talked about it. I think the big divide basically is between the sort of the European socialists in the U.S. No surprise there. Uh, if there's one thing socialists love, it's to feel vindicated on something. And, and, and the Europeans are pushing for a lot more regulation. The U.S. is pushing for more stimulus. So it was good in the sense that nothing disastrous happened. But frankly, I don't see what the big deal here is. Can I take a, a few more swings at our friends in Europe? Not that I don't love <laughs> I'm not Europe. Stop you, I don't Seth. go all the way there. But James, James took a few swing at the socialists. Can I just take a quick swing at the European tightwads? That one of the problems we have, and this is is a global problem. Uh, we can talk about global tightwads. Is the fact that you have these high, uh, highly industrialized, very large economies like Germany or China or Japan or even Korea, who have had bad experiences in the past with debt. And so, so they insist on running surpluses all the time. And, and when you do the, ch- the, the, the balance sheet of the entire world, if somebody has is, is got that huge amount of surplus, then somebody else has to be on the hook for borrowing. And unfortunately, the way it, the way it is, is that's just been the U.S. going forward. And that's been probably the major problem. All right, moving on, the board that sets accounting rules in the U.S., cleverly named the Financial Accounting Standards Board, voted this week to relax mark-to-market requirements. So, James, financial firms will now be able to report higher values for some toxic assets. Does this make financial stocks more attractive? Uh, Chris, a rose by any other name, or, or maybe I should say a latrine by any other name, is still going to smell the same. Um, here, the, the FASB, the, the U.S. Standards Board, basically caved to Congress, and to financial firms in allowing some leeway in valuing toxic assets. Now, the good news from my perspective as sort of a mark-to-market guy is that there was not nearly as much leeway as I would have thought, uh, which is good. And you didn't see a big, first you saw the banks up big on this news and they, they, they went back down. This is going to do a couple of things. This will help their earnings uh, as they add some value to these assets and that those earnings will spill into their equity base. But the key point to note is these assets haven't changed. We talked about unemployment uh, earlier in the podcast, and if that keeps getting worse and, and these underlying securities aren't collecting the, the money that they're they're based on, uh, you know, the value hasn't changed. In fact, it could even get worse. So, so yeah, I mean, it's basically, it, it's, it's window dressing. I don't see it as, as a major economic driver. It, it's a minor positive at best. Well, I look at this as the proverbial pig in a poke, and, and without without going too far down that road with James, I thought I would just instead talk a little bit about the pig in the poke in general. And apparently, this this is a, this is a medieval saying that goes back to the time when if you were out looking for a suckling pig at the market, you were you were going to have yourself a barbecue. Uh, the the shucksters out there might try to sell you a cat in the bag instead of a pig. So apparently, if you look to Wikipedia, which is which is the, the font of all knowledge, source, the font of all knowledge. Most of the variations of pig in a poke are actually cat in a sack. <laughs> or or if you're in Portuguese, cat instead of a rabbit. I guess they didn't have enough pigs in Portuguese. So I'm just going to go out uh, with a final comment, which is that if you really want to complain about this to your friends and talk about how nobody knows what these securities are worth, you should really go with the, uh, with the variation that you see in Thailand via Wikipedia, which is to buy a water buffalo, which is out in the swamp. Nice. Shannon, is there any way you can improve on that? Uh, no, I, I do think uh, I think James and Seth are both uh, correct, as they often are. But in the near term, anyway, financial stocks uh, may be somewhat more attractive, although maybe that's all uh, 
priced in. In terms of the, the practical impact, it's next to, to nothing. So that the assets may be valued higher, and so magically their, their balance sheets look healthier. But if investors don't want to buy those toxic assets because they remain toxic and overvalued, uh, what's, the, what's the impact? I think that it's, uh, it's nil. As investors, you, you don't want to buy the cat in the sack. <laughs> All right, some tough love for Detroit. Earlier in the week, President Obama asked the CEO of GM to step down and gave the company 60 days to work out its problems or face bankruptcy. He also gave Chrysler 30 days to work out a merger with Fiat. Guys, what do we think about the tough love that the president's showing Detroit? It's a day late and a dollar short, but <laughs> but I'm all for it. You know, we need to do this a long time ago. These are these are duds uh, as companies. You know, we're throwing good money after bad, uh, propping them up. Uh, they need this. They need this pain. We need them to go bankrupt so we can reorganize them properly, and, and then we'll see. Well, wait a minute. But but is there a double standard here? It's like you know, if you're an automaker, we're going to slap you down with bankruptcy. But if you're a, a bank, um, we're just going to give you a timeout. And, oh, of and course, a, it's a, a double cookie? standard. But you needed the outrage to come. You know, you needed yeah. the outrage uh, on the bank uh, CEOs and the AIG bonuses and everything. I mean, poor. I, I almost feel sorry for Mr. Wagner. Not that I think he was doing a particularly good job, or even a particularly bad job by the standards of how badly some CEOs have screwed up their businesses. He just happened to be the guy who was who was in the crosshairs at the wrong time. And so, yeah, he's got to go. But more than that, all of the stakeholders in, in these reorganizations are going to have to come to the table and give something up. And right now, they've been playing chicken. And I really do believe that the only way for this to get fixed is for the government to grab hold of them and, and divvy out the meager leftovers and, and say, all right, now back to it. Shannon, you get the final word. Well, so one of the New York papers has called uh, uh, President Obama a micromanaging autocrat for going so far into the operating weeds with the, with uh, these initiatives. But I'm I'm personally very glad to see such substantial strings attached, and I I do wish that uh, we had been as rigorous with the bank bailout side of this uh, as well. That some folks are making the argument that you know, so here's your opportunity to let this uh, this dinosaur industry uh, fade away because you know it's, it, the day of reckoning has arrived. But you know, given how fragile our economy is, that seems like a fairly academic argument to me, sort of capitalist purism, but with no regard for the practical impact. There's a whole ecosystem around the auto industry, and it wouldn't just be the manufacturing jobs that uh, would, would be lost. And so it may be the case that eventually the, the industry does need to go belly up, uh, but if it can reform itself and build fuel-efficient cars that consumers want to buy, that'll be a great thing. And if not, it will go away. Just right now is not the moment for it. And I'll just add one one point on, on, on Shannon's point, and this is nobody knows for sure, but, but these companies have been losing so much money so quickly. They've been, they've been not, not creating value, not neutral, but destroying value. In other words, it would be uh, better for the employees if we literally just gave them cash yep. versus funneling it through GM. And I wonder if the same thing is true for not only the automakers, but, but sort of the ancillary players as well. So, you know, I would maybe ultimately, uh, you know, th th there is benefit to bailing them out for these other players, but but it, it might almost get be better for them if, if we just paid them money directly. Not that that would ever happen, but uh, I guess my point is these are such value-destroying enterprises, we have to do something. One point in, in connection with uh, what, what James was just saying, you know, GM uh, it had much bigger problems than Rick Wagner, and one of the, maybe the biggest problem was that it's not being run for investors or for consumers, it's being run for its retirees. There's a moral issue here as well. How are we going to deal with the, the obligations that that company made to its folks who are now in retirement receiving their pension? Uh, that's going to be a, a, a huge part of the conversation around this.
Yes. Well, the taxpayers are going to pick up the tab there. I'm just going to close quickly with one final comment on the memo that I read on GM. I was actually impressed with the administration, which has gone a, a little far, I thought, at some points, talking about fuel efficiency and hybrids and things. And the fact of the matter is that, that hybrids are going to cost these car companies money for the foreseeable, foreseeable future. So if you say to them, you need to have uh, more hybrids, you need to have more fuel efficient cars, and you need to make more money, you're at cross purposes. And the memo that the government that the government published on this did acknowledge that, which I thought was pretty impressive. All right, finally, the tech media is abuzz with rumors that Google is gearing up to buy Twitter. So guys, what's your seven word Twitter take on the possibility of Google buying Twitter? I think this was seven words. Why not you bought that worthless YouTube? <laughs> <laughs> James? Uh, first, my seven letters are R-O-F-L-M-A-O. If you're a Twitter guy, you know what that means. My seven <laughs> words might be, might work, but it won't be cheap. Shannon? All right, so, so I have seven words, and uh, not only did I compress it to seven, but it rhymes. Too big to fail, check in mail. Fantastic. All right, it's time for What's Your Beef? <laughs> time to tee off on a stock, a person, a company, anything in the financial world that's got your beef. Go ahead. My beef is going to be the nation's beef soon enough. Uh, when I saw this morning the headlines that you've got uh, some, some familiar suspects, your JP Morgans, uh, your Citigroups, and others who want to take part in the, in the, in the bailout. <laughs> so in other words, the people who, who had all the terrible securities who needed the government infusion are now lining up trying to figure out how they can get giant chunks of leverage in order to go back and buy this junk from each other and even go so far as, I don't know, package it up and chop it up and sell it to clients all over again. It's the height of lunacy. It's kind of surreal when they're buying each other's toxic assets. Yeah, well, it's it's the whole way. I mean, that's why Iceland went to pot. Everybody's selling stuff amongst each other, yeah. claiming it was worth more than it was. And, and nothing's changed. It's just this this you know program that's that's letting them do it. Because well, free money deal. will make you do a lot yeah, of silly things. I would do it. Shannon. Well, just to, to to piggyback on that point, that's exactly right. So it's interesting that you have a bailout plan for a problem that actually is the problem itself all over again. It, it's, it's just uh, bizarre and it's sort of a heavy meta at some point. My, my beef, though, is uh, the, the return of what I thought was something that had been repressed for good, this notion of decoupling. Uh, from from the the wealth forum though it it seems like it's making a bit of a comeback and some folks are suggesting that you know going forward global equity markets are going to be moving with a lot of independence uh, relative uh, to one another and uh, there was one uh, person on a panel toward the end of the day and she was making the case that you know emerging markets uh, particularly China and and India are, and and Brazil are the places to be and that more developed markets including our own are just kind of going to move sideways for the next five five to ten years. And my own take on that is that that's a very sort of 20th century kind of analysis, given how tightly interconnected global economies have become. You know, one nation's economic health uh, requires robust markets to, to sell into. And so I think that, you know, while there will always be areas of outperformance and underperformance, anything that you could actually call it decoupling is kind of a, a fantasy land nowadays. I think the last 12 to 18 months bear that out, and I think the next 12 to 18 months and beyond will, uh, will bear that out, too. All right, Shannon, I'm going to stick with you as we close the segment with one stock on your radar for the next week. Could be good reasons or bad. Uh, well, it's it, Vasco Data Security International. It's sort of a, a financially rock-solid company with a great business line, uh, if it's, uh, uh, as its name suggests. It's, it secures computer systems for uh, corporate customers and the government as well. It's been very tightly correlated with the meltdown and, and now the bounce back of the financial sector because uh, a number of its customers are are 
banks. It, it uh, provides security for online transactions. I think that's been overdone, and so the, the, the stock has just been beaten down uh, because it's been regarded as a financial, but it actually has a much more uh, diversified revenue stream uh, than just that. So uh, right now, given how uh, uh, it's trading, it has a single-digit uh, price earnings, which is just a fraction of its uh, five-year historical average, looks cheap uh, next to industry competitors as well. So it's sort of a a two-for-one. It's a great, I think, an interesting company for for, uh, the long haul. But in the near term, if um, the financials recovery is sustainable, it's an interesting bank shot play on that because the same correlation that brought it down over the last year is likely to bring it back up as well. It's a good thing we didn't restrict you to a seven-word Twitter take on that one. (laughs) All right, James, one stock on your radar. Uh, Chris, if if folks out there are long-term oil bulls, and I am, you know, we've seen oil come back up lately with with some of the good news with the economy, one stock to check out is a company called Sasol. The ticker is SSL. This is a South African company that turns coal into liquid fuel. It uses technology that was developed or at least refined by Nazis in Germany uh, and later further refined by apartheid-era South Africans. Uh, In other words, you know, people who had a lot of coal but not a lot of friends. It tends to be uh, useful for, for exactly for companies, countries that have much coal, uh, not a lot of access to, to liquid fuel. South Africa uses it uh, hugely, but higher fuel prices are going to increase uh, the desirability of this worldwide. And they started to kind of get ramping up uh, previously with sort of the last rise in gas prices that's fallen off. But if they come back again, Sasol will win big. Seth? I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to make with the tough love for a, a company that we talk about a lot at The Motley Fool and over at Hidden Gems, which is Middleby, uh, which is a, a big maker of ovens, food processing, uh, cooking, cookery, uh, fryers, things like that. Uh, they've been doing a pretty good job, has swallowed uh, some big uh, acquisitions as of late, have, have done a good job. But the proxy statement just came out, and the CEO pay is absolutely egregious. It is it has gone beyond questionable to to downright suspicious. And we're going to have to have a talk with the folks at Middleby. And I recommend that anybody <laughs> out there who's a Middleby fan go quickly to that proxy statement and take a hard look at what the CEO is earning, because although they've been doing a good job, I don't like the uh, incentives and I don't like the total amount of pay. Commercial ovens, the next Wall Street. Yeah. Okay, Seth Jason, James Early, Shannon Zimmerman. Guys, thanks for being here. You're welcome. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for listening to this edition of Motley Fool Money. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Do your homework and make your own decisions. And remember, the conversation continues 24-7 at fool.com. I'm Chris Hill, and we'll see you next time.